You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. We're learning new details tonight about a small plane crash on Gabriola Island that killed everyone on board. Global News has confirmed three fatalities and that the plane was en route to Nanaimo from Mexico when the tragedy unfolded. Sarah McDonald has the latest, including why investigators believe the work ahead will be extremely challenging. Days after the explosive crash that killed three people on impact, investigators are still on site, combing through what's left of the aircraft that sources say experienced instrument failure moments before impact. I met my husband right here, and we looked at each other and we said, what on earth happened? And then we both ran outside. Betty Lou Hagen, one of countless witnesses on Gabriola Island, who watched and listened as the twin-engine plane first circled slowly and then crashed. And I thought it was coming right through our house. And I heard that, and then I don't even know, maybe a minute later, I heard crash and an explosion, and I thought I heard another explosion as well. Behind the controls, Alex Balson, a highly skilled and experienced dual aerobatic and helicopter pilot in his early 60s, a former contractor with Transport Canada, who taught and tested others learning to fly at this acreage in Alberta. He was very careful. He was totally dedicated to uh, flying, and uh, he had gone many, many, many places all over North America. Balson, a married father and grandfather, also owned properties on Vancouver Island and in Mexico. Friends tell Global News he and his two passengers, a couple, were returning to Nanaimo from Cabo San Lucas on Tuesday. Balson making a single mayday call, reporting his instruments had failed as the plane rapidly lost altitude. You'll get some good idea of how it crashed, but why it crashed is, is a difficult, uh, long task. Answers not likely to come from investigators anytime soon. Longtime former Transportation Board Inspector Bill Yearwood calling this crash site challenging due to the high rate of descent and extensive damage. You might know already that the aircraft um, approached the ground at a very steep angle because of the size of the, uh, of the accident site. Investigators now battling the elements to preserve evidence, expected to be on site for days to come. Sarah McDonald, Global News. Vancouver mayors just helped rideshare companies and their drivers clear a major hurdle to starting service in the Lower Mainland. Their vote to establish a regional license was nearly unanimous, with one notable vote against. Richard Zussman reports. The province has been asking for it, so have ride-sharing companies. Now the Mayor's Council is working on a regional business license for the new industry. What we saw today is, is the, the vast majority of the region uh, is, is very supportive of this approach uh, about working together and creating a, a, a regional coordination for, for ride-hailing. But not everyone is on board. Surrey Mayor Doug McCallum voting against a regional strategy, vowing to keep ride-sharing out of his city. They can put as many cars in their streets as we want. And um, that's not a level playing field. This is setting up a potential battle between the provincial government and British Columbia's second largest city. Premier John Horgan has been clear all along. 
Municipalities can't keep ride-sharing out. As we're rolling this out, we anticipated a whole bunch of variables, and we anticipated that the business license issue would be a provincial responsibility. We made that pretty clear. The license would allow drivers to pick up and drop off at any Metro Vancouver jurisdiction. The goal is to have an interim license in place by the end of January. For those ride-sharing companies hitting the road before then, there will be a patchwork of local licenses. Burnaby charging companies the most at more than $500 a vehicle. Richmond at $132, Vancouver at $100, and Delta at $25. New Westminster, the Tri-Cities, and the North Shore already on board with a regional plan. And we know about Surrey. A large uh, amount of our residents in the city of Surrey um, do not support um, a lofty claim by McCallum when he says is back from conversations he has had with people in the community. It's unclear how much a regional license fee would be or if it would be a per vehicle fee. Bylaw officers would have the right to ticket ride-sharing drivers without a valid business license. I do not support giving one industry a leg up over the other. I'm all for competition and fair competition. The Passenger Transportation Safety Board is expected to decide on those applications soon. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. Now, the only ride-hailing app to legally operate in the region suddenly ceased operations two weeks ago. Cater had strong ties to the taxi industry, and as Jordan Armstrong explains, its sudden stop has left some drivers, including one who reached out to Global BC, stuck at the curb. He was known as the Kateroki driver. His car was a party on wheels. Now, he's singing the blues. We just got an email. In fact, I found out about what happened through my friend. What happened was Cater had suddenly shut down after just eight months on the road, leaving Eric Carlos and the other drivers out of work just before Christmas. You know, I have a, a family of four kids, and uh, uh, I just have to just cut down on the budget. He says the company, which had a partnership with the taxi cartel, owes him thousands. I would say at least uh, th- twenty-four to 3000 Because he claims Cater's own contract stipulates drivers get a month's pay or 30 days' notice of termination. He says he got two and a half hours' notice and payment for just one day. You know, we're just a small fish in a big pond after a shark who's, uh, who's, got, who's very smart, so to speak. And I said, you know, this is not right. Liberal MLA Jazz Johal says Cater was doomed from the start. People want real ride healing, not rewrap taxis. And these poor workers are now paying for what should, at the end of the day, never have been approved by the NDP government. A statement two weeks ago from Cater said the company is now focused on transitioning to traditional ride-hailing operations, expected soon in B.C. Thursday, Global News called Cater and a rep for the Vancouver Taxi Association to discuss Eric's case, but no one got back to us. My takeaway is that, uh, you know, sometimes we might get caught up in the hype. Make sure you know what you're getting into. Jordan Armstrong, Global News. And while you wait for ride hailing to get rolling, the city of Vancouver is offering a new option to help you plan your night out if you drive your own vehicle. The city launching its overnight parking awareness campaign today. The initiative includes 35 easy park lots where parking can easily be extended until 6 p.m. the next day. And at most of the city's on-street parking, cars can remain parked until 11 a.m. the next day.
These are people we're talking about. One life lost is one too many, and it impacts uh, families and friends. And so uh, that's why we felt it was so important to provide another option for people who do decide to drive into the city and to participate in our nightlife or enjoy a time here. Dozens of homeowners and thousands of commuters have been inconvenienced after a series of water main breaks. The most recent in Burnaby is the third in the past week. It flooded several homes, and it has people wondering where the next one will hit. Jill Bennett reports on the circumstances that might be contributing to a high rate of failure. Residents woke up to see this. pouring into the home. Water gushing into their yards and homes. I saw the water freaking out all over. I said, wow, it's the end of the world or something. Coe's home was one of 10 damaged by the water main break at Gilmore Avenue and Dominion Street early Thursday morning. Some of the homes were also damaged during an earlier break in March. Temperature and weather is always a key factor in water main breaks. So the, the ground can swell or shrink depending on time of year it is. The water main break in Burnaby is the third in the past few days in Metro Vancouver. This was the scene of a break on Georgia Street on Wednesday. It's scheduled for replacement starting January 6th next, uh, next year. And another water main in Surrey broke, flooding a number of homes on Tuesday. Going into the kitchen with an inch of water on the floor. Back in Burnaby, several residents are now wondering how long the cleanup will take and who will pay for the damage. The water in my main room there, if you can see the open door, was about a foot deep. And like a river coming down my stairs, the back stairs, and a lot of dirty water. When we move in, we fix the garden very nice. And then we have to start again, we go broke. Unless the city is found to be negligent, damage to the homes falls to the homeowner and their insurance policies. Burnaby is trying to prevent future breaks. This is the next door neighbor's lawn. We're one of the most aggressive cities replacing water mains, and we do about 2% annually of our infrastructure, and that area was already in the queue. It's just that we advanced it with a couple of breaks recently in the last couple of years. Look at all the dirt everywhere to the front door. Jill Bennett, Global News. One less headache for commuters. After two years, Fortis, B.C. has finished the gas line upgrades in three lower mainland cities. A total of 20 kilometers of new and upgraded gas line was installed in Vancouver, Burnaby and Coquitlam. The project caused major road disruptions, but as of this past weekend, the line was turned on, delivering natural gas to more than 210,000 homes and businesses. Well, get used to seeing this thing on the Alex Fraser Bridge. It's nicknamed the zipper truck, the movable barrier system on the bridge. Once the barrier is rolled out, the bridge will have four lanes northbound, three southbound during the morning rush hour, which would then switch for afternoon peak times. We have finished the testing, uh, we have finished the training, and the zipper will be going live early next week. Folks coming home for work uh, southbound will save at least 12 minutes, maybe 16 minutes a day. People heading to work in the mornings will save six minutes and maybe even more. Uh, and then people that are taking this route every day will tell you that five minutes, six minutes, 12 minutes, all is very important. Cleaning plastic out of our oceans is a massive job, but an environmental group is showing off the haul it just recovered from the Great Pacific Garbage Patch. The first mission for the ocean cleanup is over 60 bags, each of them holding 60 cubic meters of plastic trash. 
They were all unloaded in Vancouver, highlighting the enormity of ocean pollution. The Great Pacific Garbage Patch is a massive accumulation of junk, about twice the size of Texas, floating in the northern Pacific Ocean between here and Hawaii. The plan for the recovered plastic is to turn it into sustainable products and sell those products to finance the ongoing cleanup. Right now, though, Andrew Scheer announcing today he's stepping down as leader of the federal conservatives. His departure comes amid strife within the party after the conservatives failed to defeat the liberals in the October election. But as Global's Mike LeCouture reports, there's another reason that may have pushed the resignation. Andrew Scheer has worked hard to project the image of himself as the typical Canadian family man, even as he resigned as Conservative Party leader. This has been an incredible challenge for our family to keep up with the pace that is required to lead a caucus and a party into a general election. My wife, Jill, has been absolutely heroic. That may be true, but his family was getting some assistance from the Conservative Party, which was helping to pay the private school tuition for the four school-aged Shear children. That's false. False? Like you've seen... I, 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 you know, there's nothing that I've seen that, that indicates that that's true. That's from one of Shear's closest allies, but hours later, the executive director of the party confirmed a deal was brokered between Shear and the party shortly after he was elected leader. Quote, I made the standard offer to cover costs associated with moving his family from Regina to Ottawa. This includes a differential in schooling costs between Regina and Ottawa. There were no rules broken, but the revelation shook some conservatives. We don't know who did what, who knew what, um, or whether, or Andrew's situation and all, what Andrew was told. Conservative sources say the tuition story hastened Scheer's decision to step down, but the knives have been out for some time. Former Cabinet Minister John Baird has been taking the pulse of the party, trying to figure out what went wrong in the last election. And the feedback hasn't been good. When you make the, the accumulation of bad decision, at the end of the day, uh, we lost confidence uh, in uh, Andrew Scheer and uh, the movement's growing. And that movement could derail Scheer's plan to stay on as leader. There's a lot of pressure for him to step aside and allow someone else to be interim leader as the party starts the process of picking a permanent one. Mike LeCouture, Global News, Ottawa. Ottawa Bureau Chief Mercedes Stevenson broke this story, including the detail that Scheer used party funds to cover at least a portion of his children's private school education. Mercedes, the Conservative Party's executive director, says he didn't see a problem with that. So where does that leave things? Well, he's the guy who brokered the deal and says that he approved Andrew Scheer doing this, that in fact he offered it to him. But people inside caucus say this isn't normal. It's not that he broke the rules or that it's illegal. It's that the public image of a leader who's saying that he's middle class and just like everyone else, accepting party funds to pay for his kids' private school while he lives in a house that is paid for by the taxpayer is not a great look for the Conservatives on this one. And I'm sure they'll be talking about it for the next few days, too. The the next big question, of course, is who's going to throw their hat into the ring to take Shear's job?
Well, that's the big question. Who's in the running? And there's been rumblings about this for a couple of weeks. Some of the big names you might recognize who are looking at a potential run, Aaron O'Toole, uh, he's a senior MP. He's from the greater Toronto area. He's seen as a progressive. Ronna Ambrose, a former interim leader of the party, but some sources say she's not really interested and doesn't want it. Michelle Rempel from Calgary. Mark Mulrooney, who is Brian Mulrooney's son, all among those names. Also, of course, Peter McKay, who famously came out and criticized Andrew Shear's election performance. Lots to chew on and great work out there in Ottawa. Mercedes, thanks a lot. We have some breaking news to pass along right now out of Oppenheimer Park, where we have received several reports of shots fired. There's a heavy police presence at the downtown east side in Camden right now, and several streets in the area have been closed. Witnesses report hearing five to six shots and seeing at least 15 heavily armed police officers on the scene. We have no word yet about injuries or arrests, but if we get any more information, we'll pass it on to you throughout the course of the news hour here. But right now, reports of shots fired down at Oppenheimer Park. In the meantime, the SPCA has been called in to deal with another heartbreaking case of animal abuse in the Fraser Valley. Four female shepherd breed dogs have been living in their own filth in deplorable conditions on a property in Maple Ridge. The SPCA had been alerted by people who had adopted puppies from what appears to be a backyard breeder. Each dog is about a year old and now being cared for at the SPCA's Abbotsford and Chilliwack branches. They're now trying to find their forever homes for the holidays. A Vancouver couple is doing their very best to end the cycle of domestic violence. Both in their 70s, they spend a lot of time with violent offenders. As Catherine Urquhart reports, this husband and wife team knows all too well the devastating impacts of violence in a relationship. The first time I tried to take her life, I loaded my rifle. Joe Fasella reflects back on the dark days in his marriage when he was violent. Addicted to alcohol and drugs, he tried to kill his wife Joyce twice. Then I start choking her to death while she was laying in bed. Then I woke myself up in a way. What am I doing? He could kill me and never know. And that's what I said to him. When he said, I love you, and I said, yeah, well, you could love me to death. Joe and Joyce both received extensive counseling. And then they became counselors themselves. Now, together, they try to save others from the devastating results of domestic violence. We ask you look kindly upon our family and loved ones. Their twice-weekly program, Warriors Against Violence, is funded by the City of Vancouver and Vancouver Coastal Health. Sessions are regularly attended by offenders still serving time. Some of them have been court-ordered to participate. I got violent with a man that was in her house. I, I went in and I assaulted him. I took somebody's life in 2004, so um, I'm, I'm currently in FEI, um, and in there I just got worse. We cannot Hannah has been in prison life. since 2004. She was convicted of stabbing to death 84-year-old Ray Michelson during a home invasion in southeast Vancouver. Only days before the murder, Global News interviewed her at a Salvation Army cafe. The people who walk by she was homeless by, after a relationship with her boyfriend, ended violently. You're turning it around and learning how to cope in a good way as opposed to 
reacting. Washed ourselves with this. The couple has been like running warriors wa- against violence for more than 20 years. Joe Fasella puts their success rate at 25 percent, saying that while a quarter of participants turn their lives around, many more start to make changes. Joe and Joyce offer the tools. You heard the old adage, count to 10, uh, take a time out, cool off before you react to what you're thinking up here to save yourself and save somebody else as well. You are family. Joe and Joyce are in their 70s now. Both remain dedicated to maintaining a healthy marriage. There was one, one moment that I realized, wow, I'm not even scared of him anymore. And I can talk back to him, like I can converse with him or I can argue my point, you know, without it coming back on me in a violent way. The two also firmly committed to helping others and the cycle of violence. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. In the United Kingdom, it looks more and more like Boris Johnson will keep his job as prime minister, setting the stage for his country to leave the European Union. Jeff Semple joins us with the latest. Uh, And Jeff, we're hearing the word landslide thrown around. Certainly exit polls seem to indicate a healthy conservative majority here. Yeah, that's right, Chris. Exit polls in this country have been very accurate in recent elections. And as you say, this one tonight predicting a dramatic outcome, a clear Conservative Party majority government here at Westminster and British Parliament. uh, Boris Johnson expected to return as Prime Minister and he didn't only just win, Chris, as you say, he won, it would appear, by a landslide, 86 seat differential. The opposition Labour Party, the official opposition, coming a very distant second. In fact, if that exit poll is right, it would be the Labour Party's worst result in an election dating all the way back to the 1930s and, of course, raising serious questions about the future of Labour leader Jeremy Corbyn, Chris. Quite something. Uh, Obviously, voters there just wanted Brexit to be done with. So if the results turn out the way they're looking right now, how soon before Britain leaves the European Union? Well, it could happen quite quickly. You're right. The headline, of course, out of this one, the big one, is that Boris Johnson, the British Prime Minister, would now appear to have the mandate to move forward with Brexit and move forward quite quickly. He's expected to make Brexit happen before January 31st, so less than two months away. But even once it becomes official, this isn't a done deal yet in the sense that Boris will then need to negotiate a new trade deal with the European Union. And so even once Brexit becomes official, it remains to be seen exactly what that Brexit will look like. Boris Johnson, for his part, has been advocating for a so-called hard Brexit that would see the United Kingdom leave the European Union's custom union. So still questions to be answered, Chris, even after tonight. But the big one, it seems, has been put to rest more than three years after that Brexit referendum. It appears the British people have voted in favour of keeping calm and carrying on out of the European Union. Lots more to cover in the coming days and weeks, too. Jeff Semple in London, thank you. Now, in New Zealand tonight, six more bodies have been recovered from the island where a volcano erupted four days ago. That brings to 14 the confirmed number of deaths. Thirteen others remain in critical condition. Janice Mackey Frayer has the latest. A perilous mission to recover eight bodies from White Island, 
where the air is toxic, the ground is spewing gas, and there's the risk the volcano could erupt again any moment. Let there be no mistake. It is not a zero-risk game, and people are putting themselves uh, on the front line to do the right thing. The New Zealand military sending in teams with protective gear and devices to breathe, specialised equipment that's crucial to even make the attempt. Satellite images show the craters smothered with ash, the volcano at its most active in years. There is still an increase in activity and increase in pressure inside the volcano. Authorities under pressure from families to retrieve the bodies. Reconnaissance flights and drones help to pinpoint where six of them are. They aren't sure where to look for two others. It's important if we're going to get them back, we need to, to make it and have a go at them. The death toll, meanwhile, edging sadly higher. Matthew Hollander, just 13, and his 16-year-old brother, Barron, are the first Americans confirmed dead. The brothers from the Chicago area dying from their injuries in the hospital. Their parents, Martin and Barbara, still listed as missing. Several injured Australians have now been airlifted out, while across New Zealand, surgeons are working around the clock, treating nearly two dozen people for horrible burns from the volcano's explosion. The mission to retrieve the bodies will take several hours, and a lot of things they won't be able to control. The wind, the weather, and importantly, the island itself. A lot needs to go right, but officials here are adamant they have to try to bring closure to the families who've been waiting. Janice Mackie-Frere, NBC News, Whakatani, New Zealand. Closed-circuit television footage has captured the moment a small tornado tore through a resort town on the coast of Turkey. Chairs and tables are shown being tossed around on outdoor cafe in Bodrum or on the deck of an outdoor cafe in Bodrum. Another camera shows a woman taking cover behind a van while debris flies through the air. Amazingly, there are no reports of deaths or serious injury. In Health Matters tonight, a vehicle that had helped deliver patients from YVR to Vancouver area hospitals is about to take on a new role, helping deliver babies on the other side of the world. This fully outfitted ambulance is being shipped to West Africa. Its main use will be to transport pregnant women to hospital. Right now, seven pregnant women die weekly in Liberia because they can't get to medical care in time. The donation by Nanaimo-based Life Support Air Medical Services is the second ambulance donated from B.C. The other was from Kamloops Firefighters. So imagine here in British Columbia, population 5 million, Liberia, population 5 million. They have one ambulance. The citizens of British Columbia would never allow one ambulance to operate here in British Columbia. But there's only one in Liberia. This is number two. This is Medic 2 for Liberia. You might want to check your fridge for a popular goat cheese that's being recalled. Loblaws is recalling its President's Choice brand, Cranberry Goat's Milk Cheese, over possible pieces of plastic in the product. It was sold nationally. No injuries or health issues have been reported so far. The Canadian Food Inspection Agency is investigating and says a recall of other related products is possible too. The pressure on local food banks increases over the holidays, but this year is particularly challenging. The Greater Vancouver Food Bank Society says demand is up 20% over last year. And on top of that, there's a shortage of volunteers to help. Linda Aylesworth reports. Every Thursday, rain or shine. All right, let's go. 
Olivet Baptist Church in New Westminster is transformed into one of the Greater Vancouver Food Bank's 13 community hubs. There we go, gang. Good teamwork. Making it all happen, a team of dedicated volunteers who do everything from heavy lifting to knitting booties for the table legs so they don't scratch the newly refinished gym floor. Without the volunteers, it's like you don't have a backbone. They are the most important part as far as the operation goes. The, the one at the back, you can just put it like this. Rui, the site coordinator, is a volunteer himself. Has been for over 15 years. Let's put some variety so people have some choices. As is Vera. She's been helping out for 25 years, ever since she immigrated from Russia. I started to do it because I was a single mom on disability, desperate for food. And I wanted to give back something to uh, society. It also gave her a chance to work on her English. It's a popular perk. English? Zero, zero. Oh, it's okay, but this is a good place to practice. Okay, yeah. I used to teach ESL. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, so we can practice while we work. There is no lack of goodwill among this diverse group of 15 volunteers, but there is a shortage of another kind. The situation right now is um, pretty dire with a 20% growth in clients supported over the last year. We're finding a real need for um, having to have more volunteers. And the need isn't just here, where they have only half as many volunteers as they need. Every food bank in the lower mainland uh, is facing the same problem. So want to give a gift to humanity, one that'll only cost you time, but pay you back with good feelings, not to mention good karma? Uh, if you want to be part of a really fun, diverse, incredible group of people, we'd love to have you come volunteer at the Greater Vancouver Food Bank. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. An amazing bird's eye view of a competition that's been taking place for thousands of years. How it was almost lost forever right after Christie's weather forecast. So let's check in with her right now. Oh, it seems so dark and mm -hmm. nasty this morning. Is it uh, improving mm -hmm. for the weekend? It sure is. And because of the dark dreariness, I thought I would start off with our weather window photos, Chris. Yes, it was dark in the uh, Caribou region, but lots of snow on the ground. This is early this morning. Nice to see that. Many parts of the province in the interior saw snow this morning, whereas, yes, the south coast was socked in. But it did lighten up this afternoon, and Louise Boyvin took this photo. Two rainbows. Can you see one right there and another little light one there? So, yes. Wow. We actually got some rainbows today. Thank you so much, Louise. Uh, that was in Langley. Now, tonight, we still do have waves of rainfall that are going to push on shore, but there will be quite a distribution across Metro Vancouver through the day tomorrow in terms of who will get the most moisture. I'll show you that in a second. This is Saturday morning, though. A little bit of cloud left over in the morning, but yes, we are headed towards a sunny weekend, everyone. In the meantime, your Friday, we still do have some showers on the way. The bulk of the moisture will be up near Maple Ridge and out through the Fraser Valley. You can see far less here. So, we're talking about mainly cloudy with just a slight chance of a few, few showers, not much at all. Meanwhile, we still have snowfall warnings inland regions. So BC Peace River, mainly near Tumbler Ridge, about five centimeters of snow, the Coquihalla and Kootenai Pass up to 10. And this is overnight tonight. That's when we're going to see the bulk of the moisture overnight. Tomorrow, though, through the day and through the interior regions, still flurries expected for you, but certainly snowfall on the ground likely tomorrow morning when you get up with the flurries continuing through the day. So you can see that 
here in your forecast from the PEC Peace River area through the central interior Caribou region and across all these southern regions light flourish tomorrow. Now for the south coast as I mentioned we'll see showers tomorrow but only about a 40% from Metro Vancouver so mostly dry. The bulk of the moisture out through the east Fraser Valley or Fraser Valley and up towards Maple Ridge. There's the sunshine that we're headed towards over the weekend but yes temperatures are going to plummet as we see about minus one overnight on Sunday. Chris. All right thanks very much Christy. A competition that goes back 3,000 years has taken to the skies once again over Kazakhstan. This falcon-mounted camera shows you what it's like to fly like a bird. It's all part of an annual competition where falconers show off their handling skills and their bird's hunting prowess. The ancient tradition was largely banned during Soviet rule and it would have died out altogether had it not been doggedly preserved by ethnic Kazakhs in China and Mongolia. Amazing view. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, look who just joined us, Squire Barnes. <laughs> you say it like you're surprised. Welcome, welcome. I'm always surprised when I hear the pitter patter of little feet. Well, joining us in the studio. I actually have big feet for my. All right, big game for the Canucks tonight. Let's hope everybody stays healthy. Well, um, although that is creating its own problems for the Canucks. Isn't well, it? if everybody was healthy, they would have to make moves to get underneath the salary cap, but uh, that's not the case right now. Uh, one concussion is bad enough. But when you get a second one, the fear is that you become more susceptible to them, or at least you are becoming more susceptible to them. Thatcher Demko had a concussion last year. He suffered it during practice. Believe it or not, he had another knock to the head in practice yesterday, and the diagnosis was not what anybody wanted to hear. Uh, suffered a concussion in practice yesterday. So he's in protocol. And uh, Mikey's on his way up. The Mikey, of course, is Mikey DiPietro, who will be the backup for Jacob Markstrom. There is no word on how long Demko will be out, but last year when he had a concussion, he wasn't able to play for two months. And Michael Furlan's situation with his recent concussion is keeping him out tonight as well. You know, he's seeing specialists. Uh, health is, for us, the number one priority with Furley. He's, uh, he's not in the protocol. Uh, he's got some symptoms that you know he doesn't feel perfect and uh he's still seeing some specialists to find out exactly what's going on not in the protocol but right you went through this with Sven Berti last year is this related to what he just went through uh, symptoms but he's not it, he hasn't suffered a concussion now as we mentioned before the commercial break it should be another wide open game tonight just like the Toronto game was Carolina's in town the Canes have a lot of offensive talent They've won three in a row. They have scored 12 goals in their last two games. Inside your hockey room, Carolina's got a lot of respect around the league, and rightfully so. They're, uh, they're fast, they're big, strong. Their back end is, you know, one of the better back ends in the league. And uh, when you have that, you're, uh, you're hard to play against. Oilers and Wild tonight. The Oilers are... Coming a little bit back to earth now. Although Leon Dreisaitl and Connor McDavid haven't slowed down. But two might not be enough for the Oilers some nights. Here comes Ryan Donato, shoots and scores. And that put Minnesota up 4-2 in the second period. Abbotsford's Adam Hadwin had a good start to the President's Cup yesterday. His team won their match. He's partnered with Joachim Neiman today in the alternate shot competition. That's a birdie by Hadwin on the first hole. Fifth hole, 
par three. Hadwin. I'm trying to turn it back over top of the hole. Now, this goes about 40 feet away, and then we had to speed it up because it took a while, but eventually got down to about three feet away. Nice. That's a nice shot. You get the birdie? They got the birdie. They got the birdie. At least I think they did. Tiger Woods didn't get that one, though. continues to go. Internationals were up 4-1 yesterday. They are leading four of the five matches that are still going on right now down in Australia. When Taylor Claggett is on the floor for the University of the Fraser Valley, everyone knows it. That's why she draws so many fouls. And it's getting those fouls that make her much tougher to play against. She will make you pay if you send her to the line too often. It may not be as exciting as hitting a game-winning jumper, but free throws can often be the difference between a win and a loss in basketball. And no one knows that better than University of the Fraser Valley power forward Taylor Claggett. She recently set the all-time mark for attempted free throws in Canada West, and she is on the cusp of breaking the record for all-time free throws made. All because this girl knows how to draw a foul. I've always been undersized post and forward, so I had to find other ways to score. Um, couldn't just do regular post moves and stuff to get over girls that are a couple inches taller than me and bigger than me. So finding other ways to score, and that was just um, putting my head down and getting to the hoop and drawing contact and getting to the line. She has a real ability to uh, disrupt uh, the timing of defenders. I, I would say that's probably the biggest thing that, that she can do probably better than anybody I've ever coached. Taylor's never had problems getting to the line, but making the free throws was a different story in her first three years in Canada West, where she only shot around 60%. She knew she had to get better, and through hard work and just a lot of repetition, is now at 82%, which is considered very good at any level of basketball. I just think to myself, like, you've done this a million times, and go take my two dribbles, take a deep breath, and just knock it down. I know that I've seen it go in enough times in practice that when I get into a game now, I don't really question it. I just know that I can do it. She does have a great belief in herself, and uh, so it's a big component of her success of the line. This is Taylor's fifth and final year of university basketball. She should break the all-time free throws makes record sometime in January, leaving a mark that would make anyone proud, especially her dad, who was one of those who inspired her to work on those free throws. He's not um, cringing his teeth anymore when I'm at the line. I think he knows now, like, okay, hey, you get there, like, she's going to knock him down. He's a little bit more confident, too. <laughs> See, even on camera. Just like that. Here's your snow report for this evening. Still three mountains still waiting to find a date, but there has been a ton of new snow in the last couple of days, so it won't be long. Whistler Blackcomb picked up 14 centimeters, Grouse 22, Cypress 12, and Sasquatch will open next Thursday. Manning Park 4 centimeters, Revelstoke 8, and Kicking Horse a half a centimeter. Big White a nice 11 centimeters, Silver Star 6, Sun Peak 7, and Apex 3. Mount Washington still waiting to find a date, Whitewater 9, Red Mountain also waiting, but Powderkin picked up two. Incredible video tonight of a scenario that was terrifying for a dog owner until a hero bystander quickly jumped into action. The dog was at the end of a leash when the owner stepped onto the elevator, only the dog didn't get on before the doors closed and the elevator started moving. Lester Holt shows us what happened next. It was a harrowing rescue. My adrenaline was just rushing. That's welder Johnny Mathis walking out of an elevator at his Houston apartment building as a neighbor walks in, her Pomeranian trailing behind her. 
Three seconds later, the elevator closes. The owner is inside, the dog outside, still attached to its leash. When the door closed, the girl was like, she started screaming, freaking out. That's when Mathis springs into action, fighting through fur to free the Pomeranian from his retractable leash. I was kind of struggling, as you see me in the video. It took me a while to actually get it unlatched, but when I did, I let go of it, and you can just see it shoot up in the corner the top of the elevator door. Meanwhile, the dog's owner is still stuck in the elevator, rising to the sixth floor, and then back down. When the door opened, she was had her hands covering her face, bawling. Um, I mean, she was, she was like devastated. She thought the worst. As for her Pomeranian, he seemed unfazed. When she took him, the dog started licking her face, and it was, he was happy. Oh, I can't believe we missed that moment, though, at the end. I wanted to see the... Right. We'll come back down there. So, yeah. have it. so next have time, it. let the dog go in first. That's right. Stay with the dog. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. Or have a shorter leash. <laughs> or a shorter leash. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> uh, last word on weather before we go. Sure. So still showers overnight, but mainly through East Metro Vancouver, up towards Maple Ridge and over through the Fraser Valley. Otherwise, it should be a mostly dry day and sunshine still in the forecast for the weekend. Look forward to when that arrives. Okay. Thanks very much, Christy. Thanks for watching. Have a good night.